Thank you, Pastor Frank. It's really good to have you here. And uh, as we go into this Thanksgiving week, I just want to thank you. You are a blessing as a church family. And I thank God every day that I get to be a part and be a pastor here at Fellowship Bible Church. I think as we've gone through this past year, we've experienced uh, another year of God's blessing together. We've grown deeper. We've grown wider. Uh, we've had a greater impact because more and more of you are stopping watching God doing things and starting to get in the game of what God is doing. And I, it's just awesome to see what God is doing. And it's been an honor to watch you and to be a part of your lives. And we look forward to another great year together. But I thank the Lord for you and uh, wanted to at least let you know that. We are in Deuteronomy chapter 6 right now. So if you have your Bibles, uh, open up to Deuteronomy chapter 6. And we are joining Israel right now after they've been rescued out of the land of Egypt in slavery to, and they've been uh, going to the promised land. And uh, God is preparing them for the fulfillment of a promise that he promised to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph all the way back in Genesis chapter 12. And the book of Deuteronomy was written over the course of one month. And it was to prepare all the Israelites to go and take the land that God had promised them. Moses would write this book uh, from the word of the Lord to the, the children of Israel to to remember and never forget and be careful to follow everything that the, that the word of the Lord calls them to. They were going to be instructed, instructed in a relationship with God. You know, there's a lot of parallels with where they were at and where we are at right now. God had just rescued them from slavery in Egypt. We've been rescued through Jesus Christ from slavery to sin. They were waiting on a new country, a land where the blessings and promise of God would be fulfilled. We're people who are promised the inheritance of Christ, a new heaven and a new earth, which we're waiting for. And as they prepared to enter the promised land on earth, so we prepare to enter the promise of God in heaven. So let's read and uh, see what God instruction God gives them as they're about to take the land. Deuteronomy chapter 6, beginning with verse 1, it says this. Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, and that it may be, your days may be long. Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. Let's just pause there, because look at what God's word, the, the end result of God's word in the lives of people are. It's not just that they would be taught these principles, but they would actually do these principles. And effective teaching should result in practical doing. That's what the word of God is in our lives. It's to call us into it. The word is not just something that we appreciate. Like when I went to the University of Wisconsin and I was in one of those music appreciation classes, I 
Well, I didn't really appreciate it, but it was focused on me trying to appreciate music, at least that kind of music. But when I went to Dallas Seminary and I studied the book of Galatians and I realized about God's grace and grace really took root in my soul. See, that was life altering. It's different than appreciating the scriptures, which we're all thankful for, but the scriptures are intended to alter our lives, to change us, to make us more like God. The scriptures show us who God is and what he calls us into. It shows us the heart of God, not only for us, but for the nations. And so we're called into not only the learning of the scriptures, but the doing of scriptures. And as we do that, Here's two things we're called into. The Israelites were called into this and we are called into it. The first one is that we would fear God. Look what it says in verse 2. It says that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son. Now think about this. Think about this. Fear gets a bad rap, but we are people who fear. Broken people fear. And, you know, if you talk to most high schoolers and college students, you'll find most lives are riddled with anxiety and fear. Do I have the grades? Do I have the opportunities? Does, do they like me? Why doesn't she like me anymore? We, we are riddled with anxiety and fears. And you know what? If we don't get a grasp on it, if we don't fear the right things, we're, the cycle's going to continue. And into adulthood, we fear, did I get the right job? Why don't I have the right pay? Will I have enough to pay the bills? Why don't my kids like me anymore? All those things we fear. And God says, fear me. Among all these other things, fear me. Because when you fear him, here's what's going to happen. You will find his love. I know you don't think like this, but those who fear the Lord find the love of the Lord. And what does it mean to fear the Lord? Well, Certainly, uh, as uh, Isaiah did in Isaiah chapter 6, it means a holy, deep respect for him. You see his power. You see his holiness. You see his righteousness. You realize he's not like you, and you see his power is so much greater than you. There is a picture of a reverent fear of like, you are greater than I am, and I stand opposed to you in sin. Book of Ephesians says we were once enemies of God. We had God against us. You don't want to have God against you. Isaiah said, woe is me. Woe is me when he saw the holiness and the power of God. There needs to be a deep respect for God. Right now in our world, there's a scoff for God. That's why we say his name so flippantly. When things don't work, God, we do that. And we swear we take his name in vain because we don't respect him. The ancient Hebrews were called to respect not only him, but even his name and not use it in vain, not throw it off. And we we have a whole bunch of derivatives for God's name because we do not fear him. We're called to fear him. And when you fear him first, you don't fear those other things. See, courage as a follower of God is called into fearing God first because you don't fear the other things that ruin your lives. Think about all the things you fear about. And Christians, trust me, I'm a pastor. I know you're fearing about a lot of things. To fear God means that you don't care what man will do to you. You don't care about all the things that everyone else does when they're trying to please everyone else or get everything else or just get the next gadget. No, we don't fear. We trust in God. When we fear him with our first and best, 
then we find his love. Those who fear the Lord find the love of the Lord. We trust him. We respect him. But they weren't just called to fear him. They were called to follow him. And, and look at what that passage says in verse 2. Keeping all his statutes and his commandments. And those who follow the Lord, what do they find? They find the blessing of the Lord. So if you're resistant to authority of any kind, you're going to be resistant to God. His word won't make a difference in your life. You'll keep it to the side. You'll explain all the reasons why it doesn't apply to you or why it's no longer a good thing for you to follow him. But we're called once we fear him to follow him. God calls us into the simplicity of that. And as we submit to God, we find his blessing. We find that his commandments are not restrictive or limiting or a, or a threat to everything good in our lives. That it's light. It's light in a dark world. It's life-giving. And it's even protective in our direction that we have. So these two simple calls of God to the Israelites before they were to go into the land. By the way, the land where guys were stronger than they were, that even had a technological advantage that they would fight against. They had to be taught to learn to fear God more than man and to follow God more than their own will or the wills around them. Well, how do you do that? Let's look at how God called them to do that. And let's continue reading in verse four. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Let's just pause there because there's three things that we're called to fear and follow God with. Number one, it should be something we do internally. We fear and follow God internally. It means in order for us to give it to anyone else, we have to first have it in us. You can't give what you don't have. So we're called to respond to the Lord internally first. Look what it says. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. That that is comes from the Hebrew word Shema, which means listen, hear, listen, kids. Listen up. Dad is talking. And that was something that the Israelites would take. And literally, that was the Shema. They would say that over and over again. Hear, O Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. But what does this mean? What does it mean when it says the Lord our God, the Lord is one? Does it talk about the Trinity there? I think the primary thing that it's saying, in addition to the Trinity, if you want to see it there, is that God is the only one. That was the first commandment, wasn't it? You shall have no other gods before me. You know, out of all the gods that is that Egypt worshipped, and there was a God basically for the mood of the day. It reminds me of India today. There's over a million gods in India under Hinduism. And yet, if you live there, I've seen people try to please all of them. It's hard enough to please one. And yet they have a whole picture of, of different gods that they try to keep off their back. Life is crazy trying to worship a lot of gods. We're much too complex to have multiple gods, right? No, (laughs) we're not. We, we wear gods or we drive gods or we live in gods or we worship 
people who become our own little personal saviors or positions that become our own little personal saviors to help us make it through life or help us cope with the problems of this world. We still have gods. And that's why God says, no other gods before me. The Lord our God, the Lord, he's the only one. You want God. That's why the single most important relationship in your life, even before your marriage, before your children, before your work, is your relationship with God. That's why this is the target of your life is your heart with God. It's an internal thing. And so we're called, as we take the scriptures in internally, we're called to, to listen. Hear, O Israel, listen up. Folks, we live in loads and loads of distractions. Think about your smartphones, which have only made us stupid in relationships. You think about, think about the, the veneer of relationships sometimes that we can do with screens and when we, we don't even know how to talk to each other anymore. We don't know how to resolve conflict anymore. We tweet. We don't talk. And yet the whole picture of God's word is that we would listen to God. We would find him and we would learn about him, not just to learn different objective truths which the scriptures are objective truth but it's also to be applied in our lives that we would take this stuff and live this stuff and learn from him and understand who god is and that we would love him and so as you draw near you find out this god whom you fear and whom you follow is a god of great love and those people who are fearing and following god you're finding them that they love god You aren't finding them that they scoff at God or complaining after him. People who fear and follow find his love. And here, then it talks about also the, the, uh, to love him with your heart and with your soul and with your mind. Now think about that. The, 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 uh, the whole picture of your strength in, in loving God is, is in, in Hebrew, the act, exact, um, translation is the greatness of everything in your entire being. See, God doesn't want a casual relationship with you. He's not going to be your acquaintance. And you can name drop him all you want. I'm a Christian. Yes, I'm a Christian. Grew up in a Christian. But if you're not following him, and if you're not loving him with your heart and with your soul and all your strength, then he's going to be on the peripheral. He's not going to be in the internal. God always calls us to look under the hood at the condition of our heart. All of the instruction of the word of God is for a heart. And he's looking for people with full hearts to give him. Before it can be from you, it needs to be in you. It starts internally, but then it moves interactively. God's word is always meant to go interactive in your life. Look at verse 7 of Deuteronomy 6. It says, you shall teach them diligently to your children. And look at the actions it calls us into. You should talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. So talking and sitting and walking and lying down and rising. The, the, the Jewish day began at nighttime when the sun set. That was a new day. And so our day, we say, when you wake up in the morning, when you go to bed. There should never be a time when you're not going interactive with the word of God in your lives. Parents, so many parents are dropping their kids off at church and expecting us to talk and interact with the word of God. 
And we get one hour to do that a week. That's not enough to transform your child. Not enough in the least. We can partner with you. But the burden of responsibility of legacy, spiritual legacy in your family is you. So if you're going passive on this, your kids will probably not catch it. So we call you to engage and to go interactive with God's word. For my family, I remember when we were doing this and we continue to do this. We have conversations around the dinner table. And I've had books to help me, to start me off on how to do this, to ask the questions. One of the games we used to play is after we read the scriptures, we'd say to our boys, boys, what should you do? And we'd get all the eyes. They'd look there and go, okay, so you got a friend. He's talking about you behind your back and you just heard about this. Be kind and forgiving as Christ forgave you. How do you apply that? And we would just talk about how do we take the word of God and apply it to our lives? Folks, this doesn't take rocket science. But meaningful spiritual conversations have when you engage your kids spiritually. You can drop them off at church, but you know what? The real change happens at home. And we've got to have parents who do that. I'm surprised at how many parents are not having spiritual conversations who expect me to be the professional in their family. And that can't happen. I'm thankful to be here. We want to use our time wisely. But ultimately, how you're living out there and how you're sharing and interactive with the word of God out there is really what's going to have the greatest amount of effect on you and on your children and on their children. I remember in the drive time when James was about four, they drove by a cemetery and James just started asking questions about what happens to you after you die. And Cheryl shared the gospel with James. He came home and we prayed with him. He trusted Christ. See, those are the conversations we're called to have with our kids. And yet, sometimes we treat it as, my kid's going to trust Christ. Quick, let's go to church to get a pastor to do this. No, you don't have to do that. Do that. You should be able to lead your kids. That's what we're calling it. Go interactive with the word. and Look at what what it calls us to do. Teach about it. Talk about it. Live it. And ultimately give it to your children. See, the deeper life is not just about deeper instruction. The deeper life is about a deeper uh, application. And that's why we do ministry together. That's why we share the gospel outside of here. That's why we endure through difficulty. That's one of the greatest blessings of being a church family is that one of you are going through difficulty. Some of you have lost children this year. And you still show up and you worship God. You go interactive with us. And when I see you over the course of four services, my heart is cut because I see people who are faithful in the Lord. You're interactive with it. We're called to deep application. If you just think God is for the sunshine and when it's 65 degrees or warmer in Topeka and that's all he exists for, it's just your good days. And, And when the floor drops and when it's eight degrees on a Sunday morning, and he doesn't come down, you're not interactive with your faith on those days. Folks, your faith needs to deepen by being interactive. And that's the beauty of God and the gospel. It goes to the deepest, darkest places and shines the light and the truth of God. You're a child of the light through Jesus Christ. Go interactive. God can handle it. Wisdom is knowledge experience. It's practical and it's interactive. It's ridiculous. 
It's ridiculous to fly a plane by only having classroom instruction. Could you imagine that? Ladies and gentlemen, as we pull away from the gate, please turn off all personal electronics. And by the way, our pilot today is kind of new at this. He's never actually flown. He's done a lot with Microsoft Flight Simulator, but he's actually never flown a plane. We're in for a great surprise today, everyone. Now, that would probably be more like Southwest, you know, their humor as you take off. But we would say, I'm out. I'm out. Your faith needs some flight time. And it happens when you go interactive with it outside this place into a real world with real struggles, with real burdens. That's how we grow when it's interactive. And you need to do that. Parents, share your burdens with your kids. Share your share your struggles. Talk about them with theirs and bring God into the mix. You teach them how to trust Christ when you do that. Even as a friend, if you don't have a family, how are you interactive with your faith so that you can help friends out who are going through a difficult time? It happens when you teach and you talk and you live and you give it. But it's not only supposed to be internal and and interactive. It's also to be intentional. We're to fear and follow God intentionally. Look at those last verses there in verse 8 and 9. It says, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. The Pharisees actually took this literally. And they took that Shema, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. And they put it on a box and they'd strap the box to their forehead. How would you like to see one of those? Like right now we call that Google Glass, okay? But then it was just in front of them and they'd walk around with this thing and they would look holy and they would look spiritual. And Jesus called them out on the appearance of it without them actually loving God with their heart. So, but they were intentional. Let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater. We need to be intentional with the word of God. Look at the senses that it talks about here on your hand. Find them to your hands because that's the sensation of touch and feeling. The word of God needs to guide even everything we touch and handle in our lives and even every emotion we feel. Because in temptation or in struggle, it's easy for emotions to take over. And you know what? When my emotions take over, I don't know about yours. When my emotions take over, I can make the word of God say anything I wanted to say to validate my life. No, I got to listen to the word of God and even submit my emotions and put them under the authority of God. Anything you touch, anything you touch is under the authority of God. Look at it right at the frontlets of your eyes. That means everything you see. Everything you see needs to be under the authority and instructed by the word of God. Why? Because I am visually led sometimes. And that's why the word of God needs to even guide what I see, what I see even in my mind, what I'm dreaming in my mind. Because there's always a plan when I want to do something that's distant and away from God. The word of God even needs to filter what I see. And I would even encourage you, you saw the video as we began this service, 
Take the word of God, write it on a three by five card on a verse that you may be struggling with and put it on the dashboard of your car. Put it on the mirror as you get ready in the morning. Put it on the screen of your computer, especially if you struggle with porn. Put it there because it's meant to be. And you put it in an intentional place that it can guide you and instruct you in your lives. See, everything. And then the doorposts of your house and the gates, it talks about the places you go. Every place your feet take you, every entrance you walk through needs to be submitted to the word of God. There's no place I can go. There's nothing I can touch. There's nothing I should see that goes out from under the authority of the instruction of the word of God. Everywhere is engagement with God. Be intentional with the word of God in your life. Make a plan. Write it everywhere. And those those who fear the Lord find the love of God. Those who follow the Lord find the blessing of God. Look at the blessing that God calls us into. It comes with a blessing or a curse. And as we read this, you're going to see these two things happening. You're going to see the choice. God never calls, you know, pulls you kicking and screaming. He gives you the choice. Fear and follow me or forget about me and go your own way. One results in blessing. The other results in loss or curse. Look at this. Verse 10 says, And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to give to your fathers to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to give you with great and good cities. Listen for this repetition here. With great and good cities that you did not build and houses full of all good things that you did not fill and cisterns that you did not dig and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. And when you eat and when you're full, Then take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. It is the Lord you shall fear. Him you shall serve, and by his name you shall swear. You shall not go on after other gods, the gods of the peoples who are around you. For the Lord your God in your midst is a jealous God. Lest the anger of the Lord your God be kindled against you, and he destroy you from off the face of the earth. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test as you tested him in Massa. And in Massa, in Exodus chapter 17, we're shown that the people were without water and they no longer trusted God. They put him to the test. God provided water out of a rock from the staff of Moses. He gave them water and Moses says, we will name this place testing God, Massa, which don't do it again, folks. Don't test. This passage in Exodus 17 would be where Jesus, when he was tempted by Satan, said, do not put the Lord your God to a test. Don't test God when you go through trials. Trust him. Don't test him. He says, you shall diligently keep the commandments of the Lord your God and his testimonies and his statutes, which he's commanded you. And you shall do what is right and good in the sight of the Lord, that it may go well with you and that you may go in and take possession of the good land that the Lord swore to give your fathers by thrusting out all your enemies from before you as the Lord has promised. Folks, there's three blessings that God gives us the option to experience. We can either be wise and fear and follow him 
or we can be foolish and forget and walk away from him. The first one is this. Those who fear and follow God receive thankfulness for grace. Do you see as you went in, as, as God was instructing them, this is, again, remind you, this is before they even went into that land. God was saying, this is how I'm going to bless you. You're going to go into these huge cities that you did not build. You're going to go into these houses where people literally, where they were terrified of you because they knew me and I was fighting for you. And they're going to be so afraid they're going to leave their homes with everything in it. And you're going to walk in and possess those homes. You did not fill those homes. And you're going to drink water. Every time you drink water, those wells, you did not, you did not dig. You're going to drink wine and you're going to be fed in those places with vineyards and olive groves that you did not plant. And you're going to eat and you're going to be full. Now, take care. Guard your heart. Guard your heart that moves away from humility and grace and becomes forgetful in success. Success is either a blessing or it's a curse. And it all depends on your attitude and the condition of your heart. You can be addicted to success if it's all about you. But we're called to be thankful for grace. Folks, this is Thanksgiving week. And I love Thanksgiving. You know why? No one expects a gift. It's not like Christmas. So you can give gifts with words and thankfulness. You can thank the Lord. You see, our culture has a problem, and the Christian culture in the U.S. has a problem with thankless expectation. God, do this for me. Why didn't you do that? I need you this. And God just answers. He serves us. We don't serve him. Another word for that is called entitlement. You owe it to me, God. And that's a cancer of faith. And it's a cancer of the sovereignty of God in your life and you experiencing that. God is working out a plan. Be thankful for his grace. We're not here because we deserve this stuff. We're here because God freely gives it to us. And we recognize there's nothing we can do to save ourselves. We can only trust in the one who saved us. We've got to be thankful for that. Never forget and never get over the gospel of grace in your lives. Secondly, we're called to be abandoned in worship. See, they were given the choice. Worship God alone, chase after the other gods. Be abandoning all the other gods to worship the one true God or rebel against this God and serve whoever you want. And the cycle of Israel has been that. They've served the other gods. God still calls them and us to be abandoned in worship. And it takes a decision. Of fearing God first and most and following him with your best and your all. Thirdly, the blessing is that we're grounded in faithfulness. We're not doubting in difficulty. Masa was that place they put the Lord to a test. You know, we put the Lord to the test every time we go through difficulty and we doubt. Where are you? Why aren't you here? You don't love me anymore. You don't care. There can't be a God anymore. (laughs) That's Masa. Don't put the Lord your God to a test. Be faithful. Follow him. Grow your faith deeper. You're not just a fair-weathered Christian. You're a faithful servant of God. 
Life is going to stink. This world is not fair. It's not for you. Just come to those terms. The quicker you can come to those terms, the better you're going to be a follower of Jesus. It's not fair. Someday all wrongs will be made right. Someday at the restoration of all things, you will find out why things work the way they did. However, right now, while we're in the wilderness, we wait on God, we fear him, we follow him, and we're faithful. That's the picture, and that's what the church is called to be. People who live in grace, who worship Christ alone, and who are together faithful fearing and following Jesus Christ. May we be that church. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray for lives that delight in you, that love you with all our hearts, with all our souls, and with all our strength. May we fear and follow you first and with our best. And may Jesus get all the glory and the praise. And the kingdom of God advance on earth as it is in heaven. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together, church. And over these next few moments, let's just offer our lives and our praise to God. For-